because of this incident, you know, we got to turn, we got to shine this thing up again. You know, it, it's, it, it's like it, it was tarnished for all of us. And um, so that is, that is frustrating. I understand uh, people's uh, anger and fear of, of the police department, uh, police departments, I should say, but it's hard sometimes when you know how hard you've worked to get painted by that broad brush that we're getting painted by right now. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Black and Blue Podcast. How you doing, everybody? My name is Dale. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me here today. Uh, you know, uh, in this position here in this podcast, I really get a, a, a lot of chances to talk to some really interesting leaders of, of different departments across the country. And today is no exception. So everybody, please help me welcome in Chief Larry Gonzalez of the Riverside Police Department. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me. Great to see you. Great to see you too. So, how are things out in Riverside? Uh, you know, we got a lot of things going on. Let, let's start with uh, the COVID situation that we all had to deal with. How did your department deal with that? We did okay with COVID. Uh, thanks for asking. We we had about um, you know we're about four hundred sworn officers. Uh, for my friends at Redlands PD, I like I like to call us the real RPD, just to throw my little bash in there. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but we. Uh, Throughout the course of COVID, uh, we we were able to um, keep our staffing levels very strong. Uh, nobody was calling in sick. Nobody wants to miss anything, you know. So they it was it was very encouraging to see the men and women of, men and women of RPD continue to show up. There wasn't a lot of proactivity. We wanted to limit the amount of exposure for our officers, um, but obviously they're responding to calls all night long still or all day long. But uh, uh, we did also set up the antibody testing. Um, at our station a few weeks back. I've heard pros and cons to that, but uh, the long, the short of it is it made our officers feel better and safer about being able to have that test available. So several of them went through and all good results on that. But, uh, you know, just trying to deal with, uh, you know, the same things people keep saying over and over, unprecedented times, a new normal. And, uh, but I'm proud to say our officers, uh, you know, they rise to the occasion like they always do and showed up for work and, and hopefully we'll stay safe and see this thing through. Yeah, yeah. And then the current situation here with the uh, George Floyd protests, how, how is your department and your city holding up with that? So far, so good. Uh, we've been on tactical alert. We just went off today, actually, with the 12 on 12 off shifts. Uh, we had some pretty large protests throughout the week, the largest one being last Monday, a week ago today, that about 6,000 folks came into the downtown area. And, um, you know, we set a curfew just because we knew it was going to be big and there was going to be a lot of undesirables in there too. Like everybody keeps saying, the headlines are all, what started off as a peaceful protest. Um, and that's kind of what happened on Monday to where yep. 
uh, we let them go for about another hour and then had to uh, use crowd control techniques to have them disperse. Throughout the week, we've had several, a couple each day here and there throughout the city. And then yesterday, they uh, they had about 2,500 people and from the park to our downtown uh, courthouse. Okay. So. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's a really tumultuous time right now with law enforcement. Um, you have a lot of uh, leaders in, in your city that uh, that you speak with regarding, you know, these these events and, and police community relations. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I never thought I would reference this incident that happened in our city so much. People have been in Riverside for a long time. I'm 27 years here at this department. And we had the Taisha Miller shooting in 1998, which landed us in a in a state attorney general consent decree stipulated agreement that this department went through. So we did go through a major reform, major changes, and worked with a lot of community leaders at the time. Now, I, I will say this: we didn't have we didn't have the community relationships before Taisha Miller came to. Um, we were behind the curve when that came up. So when we're trying to make amends and work with different community groups. It was almost like two but and get through that. But since that time, uh, we've remained uh, in constant contact with our community groups. I've been able to keep those, keep those um, relationships strong throughout the years. And now I'm calling on them. I'm, I'm saying, Hey, you remember uh, we've been through this before. There's a few in there that are longtime leaders of Riverside. And I tell people, I go, you don't understand. These people did not like us at all in 1998. And they were very vocal about it. Of course, we were the center of attention. We were Minneapolis back then. Right. But, uh, and they were angry and they were upset and, and we listened to them and we were able to work together. But the short answer to your question is I've been in constant contact with them. I've already had three meetings this morning with different community groups um, asking them for their support and to help us get through this, this as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. So for our people that don't know, you know, for across the country where Riverside is located, can you kind of tell us where it is and what are the, the demographics of your city and how large it is? Yeah. So we're about 88 square miles and we're located about 50 miles, um, east of Los Angeles. I'd like to say about 35 miles from Disneyland, you know, Anaheim. So, uh, we're in the heart of the Inland Empire. Uh, we are the largest city in the county, so and we are the county seat. Uh, demographics are, we're, we're closing up more on uh, 40, high 40% Hispanic, um, 40 something, maybe 50 white, and then the rest of being Asian, African American, and, you know, Pacific Islander, and, and I don't know the most current breakdown. I'd be real curious to see when the uh, 2020 census is, is done, because uh, I think we'll be even more diverse, and I think our population would probably grown by thirty, forty thousand people in the last ten years at least. What, what do you think it is now? The population? It's three thirty right now, uh, as of the twenty twenty ten census. Yeah. I would say we'd be well over three fifty, three sixty. Uh, I know we're still the twelfth largest state, the twelfth largest city in the state. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we moved up a, a, a notch in that respect, also. Yeah, I, I got to think you're probably a little bit more than 350. Yeah. Probably about the same yeah. size as Long Beach, probably, I would think. Well, yeah, and you look at, I, I just use the colleges, all the colleges we have, for example. When I first started on the job in 93, UCR, 1,000 students, and now they're somewhere near 30,000 students. Yeah. 
that's just one indicator. You know, Cal Baptist has just grown tremendously over the years. They've, they've basically taken over um, a couple of blocks in our city, um, so which is great. It's 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 an awesome. It, it truly is a college town. Yeah. Um, so you were saying that uh, the city is you know pretty diverse uh, with a, with a large Hispanic population. Gonzalez, what uh, what nationality are you, sir, or, or your, so, your parents? Uh, Mexican. My dad is full blood Mexican, and uh, if you saw him, you'd understand where I got the name from. Um, and my mom is is white, <laughs> so uh, they grew up in Pico Rivera, which is right outside of East LA. My dad said he got the only white girl in the in the school, I think, at the time, but uh, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, and then the rest of my, the Hispanic side of my, my family is in the East LA, uh, Pico Rivera area. Okay. So, so did you grow up out there or where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in Chino, Chino Hills okay. area. Um, I actually started off in La Habra. Um, that's cause my parents split when I was real young, about eight years old. We lived in La Habra for a while then, and then came out to Chino Hills before it was Chino Hills. Like it is now, it mm-hmm. was just dairies out there. Cause like when I went to high school, we got bussed into Chino, the city of Chino. All the schools were there. So, um, but that's where I grew up and went and graduated high school from, Don Lugo High School in Chino. Okay. And how's your Spanish? Uh, bad to poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, over the years, I mean, I've been able to pick it up here and there. And then, and, you know, my, um, my dad's side of the family, they were Spanish speaking, you know, might understand it and respond in English. And then, um, you know, just, uh, was able to stumble through a little bit, but definitely not proficient. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that, that same situation in my household. My wife is from Costa Rica. Um, uh, yeah. So she's originally from there. So she had to learn English when she came here. Uh, so now our kids, you know, they didn't really speak Spanish in the home. Uh, even though her parents, you know, her whole family speaks Spanish, it's Spanish speaking. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of different that way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she, yeah. she married outside. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you went to school out in Chino Hills. What, what drove you to, to, uh, to law enforcement? What, what, what's your journey there? Well, uh, like I said, my parents divorced early. Then my mom remarried my stepfather when I was nine years old. So, and he was a police officer. And um, he retired as a lieutenant there in 1987. Uh, so I was around it a little bit, you know, when I was, as soon as I think it was like 12. Once I was 12 years old, you could actually want to ride along. So I went on a few of those, but, uh, so, you know, like every, like my sons, you know, when they're playing sports in high school, everybody thinks you're going to be a pro football player or a pro baseball player. That's pretty much where I put all my efforts in. So the police thing really came to fruition after I, I chased my sports dreams as long as I could. <laughs> okay. And, and what was that sports dream? <laughs> so, uh, I graduated in 87 from Don Lugo high school in Chino. And then I was drafted by the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. I was the 11th round pick in 1987, played 87 through 90 in the Dodger organization in the minor leagues, all of the minor leagues, and then, um, got released from them. And then, uh, 91 signed with Detroit Tigers. And then that same year got released from them. So then I got to thinking, well, I might need to find a real job now if I got released from two different organizations. And it's funny because when I was that age at 21, I thought I was old and washed up. I'm like, man, I need to find a real job. And it's, it's, it's a tough business. People ask me, Hey, so what happened? You know, did you get hurt? I go, Nope. It's just, it's just a tough business, man. It's, it's tough to make it in there. You figure every year there's another draft of another 70 or 80 people that are there to replace you. So 
Uh, but I wouldn't trade the life experience for the world. Uh, the people I got to play with, the towns I got to see, and, and the experiences were invaluable. Yeah, that travel's a little different than than major league teams. You're going on buses and, and small towns, and yeah. how was that? How was that life? Uh, the the bus rides were everything you you would think. I always refer to the the movie Bull Durham, which actually came out when I was in the minor leagues, so we thoroughly enjoyed that. But uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think I made my first year in '87 when I signed. I played with the Great Falls Dodgers, and my salary was seven hundred dollars a month. And then when we go on on the road like a 10 day road trip, it was $11 a day for meal, meal money. Wow. So we weren't, we weren't flying charter flights and staying in five star hotels. Um, but uh, it, you know, the thing that also is you truly got homesick. I got homesick. You know, we didn't have, uh, you know, FaceTime on our phone or texting or anything like that. You had to call and rack up your phone bill to stay in contact with your, with your buddies and your family. But uh, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I got to play. Uh, I was in the Mike Piazza, Eric Karos era of guys. The guys okay. that really, really made it. And Ken Griffey Jr. was drafted the same year I was. Um, but Piazza was probably the most prolific player that I played with. And I roomed with him for two years. I, I was teasing people that I used to get my minor league baseball card would get mailed to the chief's office when I was a brand new cop because they wanted me to sign it. But I found out later it's only because it was Mike Piazza's first year in pro baseball and they needed the whole team to sign all the cards to get the value that they needed. So they really didn't care about the Larry Gonzalez signed card. They want to make sure it was right. in there with Mike Piazza. <laughs> kind of popped your ego there a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Huh? yeah. <laughs> what what position did you play? I was a, a right-handed pitcher. Okay. Yeah. I'm a dozen. You know? Yeah. Dime. <laughs> You needed to be ambidextrous and yeah, learn, yeah, how to, exactly. learn how to pitch left-handed. That's right. Yeah. So when you got released from uh, from the Dodgers organization or the uh, the second organization, uh, you decided you needed to find a new job. What was your journey there? I did. So uh, when I came home, I, I actually enrolled in classes because that was one of the things I had to balance from signing out of high school was I had a lot of college scholarship offers, you know, um, uh, at both Arizona State, you, you know, USC, uh, Cal State Fullerton, which were all powerhouse schools. But if you can't play baseball for them, I wasn't getting the same, I'm not going to get the same scholarship offers. So when I got done, I had to enroll in classes and I ended up enrolling in, in uh, Fullerton. And um, one of the first classes I took was intro to law enforcement. And the instructor there, we had to write a biography on ourselves the first day. And he, he was a big baseball fan. So he had me stay after class and said, Hey man, if you, uh, if you want to become a cop, you know, LAPD, they, they have uh, baseball teams there and you'll get paid to play baseball. Even though you're a police officer, you just got to go to the Academy and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, that sounds cool. You know? So I looked into it and that's what it might kind of spark my curiosity. And then having a stepfather who was involved in it, uh, I decided to join the police Academy actually in Fullerton because they had had one there. And um, once I got into the academy, and I, you know, in '92, uh, they weren't there weren't any jobs. Nobody was sponsored in the academy back then, so we all were sponsoring ourselves to go through. And once I got into the classes and the everyday routine, I was I was hooked and absolutely just knew this was the profession for me. And then uh, was Riverside the first agency that picked you up, or? Yeah. So I graduated in June and, you know, we had 65 recruits graduate in June and not one person had a job yet. One of the uh, 
instructors there, lead instructors there, who was a mentor of mine, was doing some stuff with Riverside PD, uh, testifying as an expert witness. And he says, hey, uh, there's this new sales tax they passed or something where they're going to hire 27 cops. I put, I put your name in, you know, and, and you should go down there and take an interview. And honestly, growing up where I did, we, everything we did was west of Chino. We didn't do anything out here in Riverside. I, I've right. been to Riverside like once in my life, and it was to play a baseball game. Yeah. Um, everything we did was in Orange County or LA County uh, from there. So I was like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll put in for it. So I put in for them. And I, I had earlier put in for Anaheim where I ended up supposedly coming out number one on their list to get hired and they went on a freeze, but uh, went to Riverside and, and they processed me and got me through. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It, it's funny. You talked about, uh, you never came to Riverside before then. Uh, I grew up out in LA County, uh, Glendale Pasadena area. And uh, there was a club back in the day that I used to go to when I was oh. in high school and uh, afterwards. You remember the Metro, Club Metro? I, I, knew, I knew what you were going to say yeah. right when you said the club because yeah. that was a uh, famous one, man. Out yeah, here. yeah. we used to go out there and we used to think it was so far away. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, but you know, it was it was good times. The only place you could go to when you were you know, eighteen years old or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so then you got into Riverside and your journey uh, through the ranks. What sort of assignments did you did you go through? So obviously, we all start off in patrol. Uh, for three or four years, I was in patrol when I got selected to be a part of our gang unit, uh, gang enforcement unit. And at the time, we had um, five detectives assigned to the unit, and then five officers assigned to the unit. So it was a great experience for young officers to be able to work side by side with a detective. And it was a two-year assignment, which is still to this day, uh, one of my favorite assignments of all time. And that was 96 to 98. So um, after that, uh, really started getting into uh, the defensive tactics and training of defensive tactics. Uh, was able to get a job at the, at the uh, Sheriff's Academy, Riverside Sheriff's Academy in like 96 or 97. And at the time, uh, since it was defensive tactics, if you're the new guy, all you ever did was dress up in the fist suit and let people beat up on you. But I was, yes. I was all in. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. And, um, and uh, so that, but that really got me interested in training, um, not just defensive tactics, but, but use of force training. So um, in 98, 99 is when uh, the Taisha Miller incident hit Riverside. And so we were definitely on the microscope under a consent decree and it was all based around training. So, you know, kind of being in the right place at the right time, uh, I was able to be on a lot of that, uh, a lot of that training that was, that was required by us, not just by the attorney general's office, but by post and other mandated folks. So the training, uh, you can't help but get recognized a little bit. So it was lucky for me, I was able to get promoted to Sergeant after about eight years of being a police officer. And then, um, went back to patrol for a while, but then, and then also got pulled back into training to help us get through our, our consent decree. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. So you said that, uh, gangs was one of your, you know, your favorite assignments. Uh, yeah. does, what, what's the, uh, the gang problem like in Riverside? Do you have many gangs? What's the makeup? Mostly Hispanic, mostly mixed. What, what do you got? Uh, mostly Hispanic, but we do have, uh, some black gangs too. Uh, at the time, you know, we documented over 250 different gangs that had at least claimed it admitted membership in our city. Doesn't mean they were turf-oriented gangs in Riverside, but uh, we've had some uh, some some serious incidents over the years. I know the two biggest areas people have probably heard about are Casablanca, which is uh, 
you know, probably about four generations now. And then the east side of our city, you know, um, east side Riva and, and uh, some of the uh, Fortray folks and people that are in Rubidon and the surrounding areas all have congregated throughout the east side of Riverside. Uh, and then, you know, we have Hillside, Arlanza. They're, they're spread out throughout the city. Um, but I would say predominantly Hispanic for the most part. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun assignment to work at the time, you know, in the 90s. Right, right. How's the uh, activity now? You guys got a pretty good handle on it? I, I think so. And it's, it, you know, it's changed and, and you're working out there. It's, it's uh, when you're on the street, it's not like it was 20 years ago where you see a bunch of gangsters hanging on a street corner, you know, or, or hanging out in somebody's front yard where, or the park, you know, in large gatherings. I mean, there's still that a little bit, but it, it's different. Everybody's, uh, you know, uh, they do the technology thing, man. Yep. They, they're, they're smarter. They don't, they don't uh, lay themselves out there with, with a bandana in their back pocket anymore. I mean, they've, they've gotten wise to all that stuff. So um, it's definitely harder to enforce, harder to catch them. But uh, I would say it's not as busy as it was in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, but the, the activity is definitely still there. Right. Right. So then uh, your rise through the ranks, did you, do you have a mentor that kind of, uh, ushered you along the way and, and answered questions for you? Yes, I, I've, I've, I've had several, you know, um, throughout the years. Uh, there's a, you know, starting off in the academy. And then once I got into the job here, you know, like a lot of other guys, I think, that have risen through the ranks. And then certain people come into your life and say, hey, you know, um, this is a good opportunity for you. This is a good window for you to jump through maybe. A lot of that had to do with the consent decree we were under and, and some training issues. And then you get exposed to a different group of people, you know, management type folks. What we do. And I know it wasn't until I hit the rank of Lieutenant where I had my first real civics lesson <laughs> on how the city works and how you work with council folks and the mayor and, and, and how many people are really involved in the city to help us function. Right. And, um, once I got to that point, you know, and, and, uh, you know, our, our prior chiefs and assistant chiefs, John Del Rosa is a, a retired assistant chief. He was a mentor to me. Um, and then as recent is our last chief, Sergio Diaz. Uh, we got the same sense of humor, you know, about certain things. Uh, but I learned a lot from him. And he kind of, kind of like when you're in the FTO program, you know, you have five different uh, training officers and you're not going to be exactly like any of them, but you take those things you like from each of them to mold your own character and type of police officer you want to be. And that's kind of what I did as I got to the management ranks. And, uh, and to this day, I still reach out to those, those folks for, nice. for assistance, especially in times like now. Yeah. Nice. when did you become chief? Uh, I was, uh, the actual notification came in January of this year, uh, but I was the interim since uh, September. Uh, so I was able to participate, participate in a nationwide search that they, you know, Despite my best efforts, I told the city manager, you don't need to do this, man. I'm ready for the job. I'm, you know, you don't have to go through a nationwide search, but I understand it's the right thing to do. There's no questions about it afterward. You went through a competitive process and then made it official in January of this year. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I keep kidding right now that I hope my next six months are as smooth as my first six months. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. You got thrown right into the fire. Now, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Right into the fire. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you went to school 
Uh, you had to go back to Cal State Fullerton. Uh, did you finish? What was your degree in? No, so uh, I went back to Fullerton College. It was junior college. And then when I went to the police academy, from there, I actually received, I think it was like 36 or 38 units through the college yep. just for participating in the academy. And, you know, they, they do that quite a bit now where you don't just, you're not just hired by a police department and you just go. You get actually college credit. So I thought, well, I've built a pretty solid foundation. Um, so, I, you know, finish at least and get an AA, which, of course, I didn't because you're a brand and I'm thinking, why do you need to go back to school now? I mean, I, I everything's so so good. I can, I, I just want to be a police officer. But like I said, you can't move up the ranks and promote unless you start getting your degree. So I started going back to school online and then I ended up enrolling in uh, Southern Illinois University, had a satellite campus at Ben Clark Training Center, which is where I was teaching at the academy and stuff anyway. So it was just like uh, every other weekend, you go to classes, including so I get my Bachelor of Science in, uh, it was Workforce Education and Development, so basically a training degree and teaching degree, um, and uh, got that in 06 or 07. Nice, nice. What sort of, uh, aside from that, professional organizations or clubs did you belong to or still belong to to kind of help you along the way in your, in your maturation process? Well, early on, I was, uh, you know, a lot of them were like, uh, you know, the California gang investigators. I was a part of that. So ASLIT, which was a training organization. But as I got into the management ranks, um, more more so management organizations like IACP. Um, I'm currently the president of RECLIA, which is the Riverside County Law Enforcement Administrators Association. That's all the Riverside County chiefs and, and number twos, um, which is uh, we meet every month. We actually have so we're looking for another meeting with that. And then our cops, which is basically the association of Riverside chiefs of police and the sheriff. So we've been meeting uh, twice a week right now with everything going with all Riverside County chiefs and including the sheriff just, uh, well, start off talking about COVID and how everybody's dealing with it. And that turned into meetings about, you know, different places of civil unrest and, and protests that are coming on. Um, another one is uh, the Law Enforcement Appreciation Committee, LEAC, which is, uh, I'm very proud of being on. I was uh, the president of that last year, the chairperson, I should say, where basically it's an organization, a nonprofit that uh, awards police officers for um, various different different types of awards, you know, Medal of Valor and, and team awards and things like that. So uh, also a part of that committee. Um, and I'm sure there's a couple other that I'm not thinking of right now. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the sheriff's department. I've always thought it was interesting how the county seat and the sheriff's department operates and, and cooperates. How, how's your relationship with the sheriff's department? Uh, very good. And that that's come up a lot lately because if you saw uh, Monday, we had a large protest where we worked side by side with our sheriff's Chad Bianco, the sheriff, and I have known each other for a long time. It's nice to have a relationship where I can just call him and he can call me. I, like I said, I'm not saying it was never there before with, with Stan Sniff and Sergio. I, I don't know exactly if it was as strong as ours is right now or they needed to have a stronger relationship. I think they've, we've always got along fine with the sheriff's department. But uh, it has been valuable and, and probably needed more than than we ever had yeah definitely all, all of 
all of our uh, agencies are cooperating in mutual aid right now. So, yes. yeah, we need those strong relationships. Definitely. Absolutely. So what's one of the uh, more rewarding parts of your job right now as chief? Well, you know, I, what was really cool is the first time I got to swear people in, you know, give them a job as a police officer and then uh, make some promotions. Um, even as the interim, I was able to make some promotions and swear folks in. That is rewarding. And then now I can kind of put my spin on, on what my expectations are and, and, and kind of share with them my excitement for this job. And hopefully they share that with me. And I, I'm finding out that they do. Uh, that is rewarding. And it's rewarding uh, when you see, like I, I, like I said, growing up in this organization, we, we haven't had a chief here in the last 25, 30 years that was from here that was, that grew up through the ranks in Riverside. Um, you know, Chief Diaz was here for about nine and a half years. And, and before that, hired me was from San Diego uh, PD. They were all outside chiefs. And you know what? Um, I think it was probably rightfully so. Uh, Chief Diaz left this department in, in pretty good shape um, before he left. I think it's in good shape. So it, it allowed me to, to be able to take over without any hesitation for them to think, well, you know, we need to change this, this department's broken and we need a new, we need new blood in there. It wasn't like that. It was, uh, it was an easy transition for me. And especially going through times like now to be able to rely on past experience and rely on those relationships that we've been able to build and call people. It's, it's invaluable right now. Definitely. And on the flip side of that, what are one of the, uh, more challenging parts of your job as chief right now? Uh, well, COVID, I wouldn't say was as challenging. It was, it was frustrating with COVID. I mean, as you know, being a police officer, we, you know, the, the most we were doing was, was responding to calls of non-essential businesses, calling on none other non-essential businesses for being open. The challenging part was just praying that our officers would stay healthy, you know, um, but what we're dealing with now, the last two weeks, and going to be dealing with in the next probably several years, it's that's frustrating for me right now because I feel like I just went back to 1999 in Riverside PD and how hard we have worked over the years. And I, I can't go out and just say, hey, we've been there, done that. We've, we've already gone. I'm not going to say that. There's always room for improvement. I understand. But I also want to exploit the fact is how far that we've come and how we did go through major reform. We did go through major change. And because of this incident, you know, we got to turn, we got to shine this thing up again. You know, it, it's, it, it's like it, it was tarnished for all of us. And um, so that is, that is frustrating. I understand uh, people's uh, anger and fear of, of the police department, police departments, I should say, but, it's hard sometimes when you know how hard you've worked to get painted by that broad brush that we're getting painted by right now. Yeah. So as of right now, that, that is probably the most frustrating and, and challenging thing that, that we'll be dealing with for, for quite a while. Do you think a lot of that hard work that you guys put in in the past kind of helped you guys' relationships now moving forward? But 100%. And I was just talking to our deputy chief right now, Jeff Greer, I said, and he came from LA. I said, uh, this is the time for everybody to put their money where their mouth is because we talked about how necessary these relationships were. We have those relationships with our, with all of our community groups, our black community, Hispanic community, uh, 
for uh, faith-related groups, uh, faith-based groups that we've uh, reached out to, our business groups, our school districts, all email on my phone. And it's a little bit difficult with COVID to not, because there's nothing like a person-to-person meeting, you know, especially when times like this are going on. But I understand, um, you know, uh, people wearing masks and social distancing, it's important. But uh, I, I think it's, t- I'm hoping to find the reward from all the hard work that not only we have done, but our community's done uh, to build that relationship with their police department. I, I feel the support. I really do. Our city council has been very supportive. Our community groups, I've had community groups tell me, some people I've known for a long time, hey, Steve, you tell them a story. You tell them what we've been through. You tell them how far we've come. And uh, like I said, not sounding defensive. You don't want to sound defensive, but you also want to, to make sure you acknowledge the good things and, and also acknowledge the fact that there's definitely room for improvement. We could. We just don't know if it's to the point of major reform and, and now uh, this weekend's order is defunding of, of all the police departments. Yeah. Yeah. That that's going to be another big issue that we've all got to deal with. So uh, and I hope it doesn't you know spread too much in, into your city that, you know, that movement defund the police because people don't know what they're getting into once we start, yeah. you know, moving money away from, you know, I can, I can see that we need programs and, you know, use some of that money for programs, but uh, you know, totally disbanding. I heard something about Minnesota. Minneapolis is talking about totally disbanding their police department. I, I don't know what kind of model they're going to come up with, but you know, that just sounds crazy to me. I, I just heard that this morning too, or late last night, somebody sent me the article and um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, knee jerk reactions, I think, you know, yep. personally, but, uh, but evaluating and reevaluating, evaluating. Absolutely. It's like, I go back to when we were under a consent decree, you know, when that was over, we thought this is the best thing that could ever happen to us. Now, these are things that we've been asking for anyway, but maybe uh, fiscally we couldn't do it, you know, or the, or the council wouldn't approve it for some reason. Defunding um, I, each, each city is different is what I'm going to say is, is in, and I, my objective is to go out in the community and meet with all these groups and, and test the waters, get the temperature out there because right now I feel it's very supportive. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that maybe, you know, it's just reported wrong and maybe they're just talking really about, you know, making new ways to to handle situations and, and not totally going a, a different 180 on it, just, you know, different ways to handle it. So policing. So we'll, we'll see how that works out over there. So, uh, you know, you said your city's really diverse, your department's really diverse. Um, I know you mentioned your last chief was Hispanic as well. Um, what, what sort of opportunities have you seen yourself, I mean, you're a shining example, you're, you know, you're a Latino chief as well, uh, for Latinos and other uh, minority groups in, in Riverside? I think the fact that it's, uh, and, and the meeting I was in before this was, was with our Greater Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, wanting to reach out and wanting to work together uh, to move forward. So I, I guess I would just say, I would hope our officers think coming into this profession that they could they could attain any goal they set their mind to uh, a Latino or an African American person or a female in positions where they can actually see that it's attainable. Um, that drives them. That drives our, I mean, we really focus hard on our female officers uh, trying to hire more female. We have more females now at RPD than we've ever had. Um, we need to do that in all demographics um, of, of our, of our department because the more people you can put, especially in leadership positions, 
uh, the more attainable folks think that can be. And you know, you guys knows they want nothing to do with being a lieutenant or a captain, which is right. great. You know, but if they want to be the gang sergeant or they want to be, you know, the community services bureau sergeant, that they know that that is something they can attain. Yeah, that that's my point. You know, having people uh, of those different ethnic groups or you know uh, gender groups actually in these positions, so that you know there's you know they're mentors, there's some role models, someone they can look up to. Uh, how about your LGBTQ community in uh, in Riverside? How, how are you guys in your relationship with them? Just met with <laughs> just met with some of them over the weekend. Um, uh, met virtually and in person. Uh, it, Really good, I think. I mean, there hasn't we haven't had any issues as far as uh, coming from them as far as our department. Uh, we did make sure that we did have an LGBTQ liaison designated and identified on our website and all of our social media platforms. So if there is some type of issue or problem that that uh, they have a direct line to the police department and to me. And um, like I said, just like any uh, other group in our city, we want to make sure they know that uh, we are here to protect and serve them. We're, we're, we're available. And, and trust me, I've told our command staff and our officers, like, stand by, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard right now. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, just, and it's just answers. It's, it's, it's a dialogue. I mean, I'm, and I'm all for that. Because, you know, we get questions to, to me and, 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 and blast it on social media. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And you want to tell them, I'm, I'm trying to put out messages as much as I can on, that you keep asking about certain things and, and yes, we are doing these. So uh, with that, like I said, without sounding defensive again, you want to yeah. make sure it's uh, it's on us too, to make sure we get that message out better. Um, whether it be through social media or getting out in the community and making sure that you know that uh, we are doing and, and what we're not doing and, and, and what can we do differently? I mean, I had an email, I've had a couple in the last week were saying, hey, chief, you need to, uh, you really need to implement a, a civilian oversight uh, to monitor, you know, for transparency. And I felt like, well, we've had that for 20 years. We're one of the only agencies in the, in the, in the whole area that has civilian oversight. We've had that. And that was a part of our consent decree. So it's simple as just responding, making sure and, and educating our community on, on the things that we're doing and we'll continue to do. Right. You guys have a large social media presence? We do. We have to, you know, we're on, um, you know, and I know whenever I want to get a message out, uh, our PIO, I mean, he's, he's a very busy man yeah. and it, it could be, you know, on a Saturday night at 11, I get an idea and I say, Hey, can you push this out? You know, and he'll get it out right away. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things that we need to get it out on. Um, and, and you know, it is, it's a good following. Um, and the majority, I, I, the feedback we get is uh, thank you for sharing the information. Yeah. You know, it's things that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. You can't call the press enterprise every time. Um, you know, I, it's just one of the things that came out. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Dale, but the uh, can't wait for the eight campaign yeah. that's come yeah. out. Yeah. So I knew when that came out, we're going to need to get out in front of this and we need to send something out. Here's what we're doing as far as that goes. Um, and I'm sure something that the, the the next wave of emails are about defunding. So we'll probably have to uh, start identifying some of the things that we're already doing and some of the programs and some of the programs we would like to get implemented in our city. All right. So where do you see yourself in the next five years, the, the direction of your, of your department and yourself? 
well, if it's going to be like it was the last six months, I might be retired by then. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I want to, uh, at the very least do, uh, five to 10 years here. I just turned 50. Um, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I am in the three at 50, you know, group for PERS, but I've never been one of those guys that said, um, you know, 12 months, 15 days, four hours. And, you know, they count, they have the countdown for retirement. I've never even thought about it at this point. And I tell people, I, I, even though it's crazy right now and it's tough times, I love coming to work today just as much as they can say that, you know, they truly love their job. Um, And even in the worst times, you know, I was talking to my wife about that the other night. You know, she gets frustrated reading all the comments. I'm like, that stuff doesn't really bug me. I mean, that you get trained as a police officer early on that, you know, sticks and stuff. And personalize a lot of the things that people say. I mean, they're talking to this uniform half the time. If they see you in person or yell something at you, I, I don't really worry about that stuff too much. Um, I worry about, you know, what the people that I care about say and think, but, uh, but yeah, it, I'm absolutely, like I said, I'm absolutely loving my job and I hope to, that we can get past all this, which will take, take some time. But uh, I feel like over the last 27 years, I've built up the skill set to get through this for get uh, not just me, but to get our agent through this. And uh, that's a lot of positive thinking, but uh, every once in a while you feel like, man, I, you do get down as we ever get through this, you know, Um, and then, and then something comes up to where uh, it pushes you forward. So optimistic about it. Yeah. And what do you, what do you like to do when you're not working? Well, I haven't been able to do anything lately, but uh, I right. do enjoy, I, I do enjoy golfing. Um, I'm a member at a club in our, in our city. And um, if I can ever get out and fish again, I like to go fishing. I do like to go to the gym. You know, I'm not building any muscles nowadays, but it sure is therapeutic for me just to get to the gym. At no least, you know, that was important with all this COVID stuff, you know, like a lot of us uh, guys here at the department, it's like I found I had to dust off some old dumbbells and you right. know, like a prison type workout where you're doing dips and, and sit ups and, 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 and push ups, but uh, more for the mental aspect at this point in my life. Um, and, and, and a lot of those things like the golf and the ice day, because that's where I get to spend four or five hours with my sons and uh, they're not on their phones the whole time. <laughs> they got to pay attention. They're the camaraderies there and, um, it's just, it's just a good time to get away from, from everything else. So, yeah. Speaking, speaking of sons, do they have any, uh, aspirations to go into law enforcement themselves or. So my oldest is a girl, my daughter, she's 20. She goes to Chapman university. She wants to go into psychology. Um, and she's beautiful, just smart. Uh, she got everything going for her. I'm very proud of her. And then the boys, like I said, they still think they're going to be pro athletes, whether it's football or baseball. But my oldest one is graduating this year, high school. And uh, I was teasing because he, he's going to the dark side. He's going to be a firefighter instead of a police officer. So, which uh, oh no, stop him! I know, going back. I know. back. <laughs> but of course, I'd be very proud if he got into that profession. Maybe it's just jealousy speaking. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, he, he, you know, so that's the route he wants to go. And my youngest, he he has no idea. He just hoping that um, football practice actually starts in July this year because he'll be a junior in high school. So. Yeah, he's yeah. got time. He's got time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, Chief. I appreciate you coming on and uh, you know spouting some information for me and the and the audience about you and your department and all that. 
Um, before I let you go, though, I got a little game I like to play with you, with my guests. So let me set this up for you. All right. Can you see that on your screen there, sir? Yes, I can. All right. So since you uh, <laughs> you played baseball, minor league baseball, uh, this game I like to call. Black or blue? 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 Come on. So this game is called Black or Blue. And your category today, diamonds are a guy's best friend. Minor league baseball teams. I'm going to name a minor league baseball team. And you tell me, is one of their major colors black or is it blue? Black or blue? Okay. <laughs> Hopefully you can get through this unscathed. All right? All right. So, so all easy right. enough? All right, here we go. Your first team, the Omaha Storm Chasers. Uh, black? Oh, sorry about that, Chief. They are blue. They are blue, and, and oh, I guess that's man, gold there. This one. Blue and gold. Uh, for extra credit, though, can you name their MLB affiliate, their Major League affiliate? Man, I feel like cheating now and getting on and Google. <laughs> you don't have this is just for extra credit. You know, you can uh, take a step back. I'm looking at the lightning bolts. I'm looking at that has anything to do with because a lot of the minor league teams have absolutely nothing to do with the major. League right. Teams. Yep. Um, can you give me a hint? Is it National League or American League? It is American League. In the Midwest, George Brett, Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, your next team, the Round Rock, the Round Rock Express. Black or blue? Round Rock Express. Black. All right. Sorry again, Chief. <laughs> they are red and blue. I have no idea where Round Rock is. I and, don't uh, either. Yeah. Yeah. They're major. League affiliate is the Houston Astros. Your next team here, the Fresno Grizzlies. I believe they're triple A. I'm going to say black. Hey, you got that one right. I had to get that. Yeah. Fresno that's Grizzlies. Be the, that's, is that the Giants still? Uh, if you see that on there, they're the. Yeah, no, no, they're, they're Washington. The Washington Nationals is there. So when I was in the minor leagues, Fresno was a single A team in the California League. Okay. All yeah. right. So we got we got one on the board for you. How about the El Paso Chihuahuas? You know what's crazy is I saw them play last year. They've got a great logo. Just look blue. Up. Uh, no, unfortunately. Uh -huh. They are red and black, and their uh, major league affiliate is the Padres. Yeah, I saw them. I was actually in Sacramento for a work thing, and we went and saw them play the, the River Cats in Sacramento. Nice. So you, you still kind of keep up a little bit on, on minor league stuff? No, not really, unless there's somebody I would know, uh, you know, somebody's kid or something was playing. Yeah. But, yeah, I, like I said, if I'm in a town like Sacramento, I'll try to go watch a game or nice. something. A few more here for you. Uh, the Portland Sea Dogs. Blue. Blue. Yes. Red and blue. And their major league affiliate is the Boston Red Sox. And everyone should know this one. The Birmingham Barons. Red. Oh, I'm sorry. Blue. Uh, Birmingham. Oh. Black. They are black and, and red. If you remember from the uh, the Michael Jordan days, oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Did you see that? I, I watched that. Yeah, uh, the last dance. The last dance. Great, great stuff. Yes. Yeah, so they're they're uh, the Chicago White Sox affiliate. 
Um, how about the Arkansas Travelers? I hate to even say it. I'll go with blue again. Oh, my oh. God, Chief. Come on. <laughs> they are red and black. Red and black. They are. We see, hey, you now know. you see why I never made it to the big leagues, yeah. man. <laughs> affiliate of the. Get out of the minor leagues now. I know. Affiliate of the Seattle Mariners. A couple more for you. Two more for you. The Toledo Mud Hens. Okay, so that's going to be. I'll say blue. I think it's a Minnesota affiliate. Yeah, you got that right. They're now Detroit's affiliate. Detroit? Okay. Yeah. I, I understand these uh, these teams switch around a lot, huh? Yeah, they change They're, a lot. The affiliate. And your last one here, I hope you get this one, the Oklahoma City Dodgers. That's got to be blue, yeah. It's got to be blue, yes. <laughs> and their affiliate, of course, is the L.A. Dodgers nowadays. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, you got more wrong than you got right. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, man, this is like my high school uh, report card right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, great. Yeah. Uh, Good times with you here, Chief. I appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with me today. Uh, I want you to be safe out there in, in Riverside and, and, your, and your troops, your troops all safe. Um, you know, some crazy times we're living through right now. Hopefully we can all get through it together safely and, and, and without too much, too much chaos. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And please stay safe yourself. And um like I said, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chief. I appreciate you. Take care now. Thank Enjoy you, the rest man. of your day. You too. All right, all right, all right, Square Pigs. That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Chief Larry Gonzalez of the Riverside, California Police Department, for joining me on this episode. Thank you for coming on, sir. And uh, go blue. Dodger blue, that is. And if you guys out there enjoyed this episode as well, make sure you like and subscribe to the show on the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you hear my voice today. I'll be back next week with another interesting and entertaining guest. But uh, till then, y'all know what to do. Stay black in blue. I'll holla at you. Peace. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.